Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by his spirit, will use his word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemerknoxville.org. We also want to give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemerknoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much, and here is this week's sermon. Well, if you'd like to follow along with me, you can do so by turning in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 20. You can follow along in your own Bible. There's a pew Bible in front of you. It's provided for you in your bulletin, or you can pull out your phone and you can follow along with me there if you'd like to do that. I do want to welcome you to Redeemer this morning. Uh, it's great to have you with us. My name's Sean Slate. I'm the pastor here, and we are so glad to have you with us this morning because we know that there are a million different things that you'd be doing this morning. For instance, uh, you could be at home trying to figure out what is going on with your Clemson Tigers. I mean, it is just the wheels have fallen off, and... I'm so disturbed. Uh, Or uh, you could be at home watching the first three quarters of the Tennessee-Alabama game and being really excited. Uh, Or you could be at Boo at the Zoo. Or you could be, today's a bone day, and so you could be at home uh, getting ready for the chili cook-off in the county fair uh, just to celebrate. But you're not. You're here, and I want to thank you for joining us this morning. And the reality is that there really is nothing better that you could do with your time than worship Jesus and to consider his claims upon your life, and to think about the beauty of his kingdom. And so I do want to welcome you, and uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, So welcome to Redeemer. What is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church, and what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God, and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God. He's the Messiah, and he's entered into the world to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. And so every week as his people, we gather together to worship him so that we might learn to rest in the love that God has for us in Christ. And as we rest in his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in community. And so we love to get dressed up and go to the county fair and eat chili together and watch reruns of the first three uh, quarters of a Tennessee football game. Uh, And we love uh, to gather together to read the Bible and to pray with one another so that we can remind each other of the great love that God has for us in Christ. And so as we rest in his love and as we remind each other of his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in service so that together uh, we might reflect the love of God to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors who are here in Urban and University Knoxville. And hopefully in some way it would spill out into the entire earth, right? That's who we are, people who are trying to learn how to love God, we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And so to help us do that this morning, we are continuing to think about true spirituality, uh, reflections on Paul's first letter uh, to the Corinthians. And throughout this series, what I hope we've been seeing is that true spirituality isn't so much these big, grand experiences that we might have. Uh, True spirituality isn't a bunch of different levels that we graduate from and enter into. Uh, True spirituality isn't these uh, special disciplines that we do in order to order our lives. But true spirituality is actually the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
And the curriculum of the Holy Spirit is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so what the Holy Spirit is doing in us is working that death and resurrection into every part of our lives. And so this morning, what we want to consider is our spiritual bodies, all right, our spiritual bodies. So with that in mind, let's look together. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 12, we're going to read down to verse 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The word of the Lord. All right, let's pray. Ask the Lord to bless our teaching. Heavenly Father, we are thankful uh, that you are a God, uh, not hidden, uh, not silent, but you are a God who delights uh, to make yourself known because you love us. And so it is our prayer now that over these next few moments in which we attend unto your word, that you and your kindness would attend unto us so that we might see lovely and beautiful things about you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When my son uh, turned about nine or ten years old, it, it seemed to me that it was time for the two of us to have the talk. And so I went into his room and I said, William, you know, you're getting older, you're becoming a man, and I think it's important for you to know that when a man loves a woman, or when a woman loves a man, and William jumped up out of his bed, put his fingers in his ears, and ran out of our house yelling, no! <laughs> and uh, it was amazing, it was just amazing, and uh, we haven't seen much of them since, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, often as Christians, uh, when we start talking about sex in our bodies, this is the reaction, right? No, uh, don't tell me uh, what to do with my body, don't tell me how to think about my body, or no, like, this is private, this is quiet, and it's like Voldemort, it must not be named, and, uh, and I get it, right, because uh, sex in our bodies are complicated, our experience with sex and our bodies are complicated. And often they're incredibly frustrating and often they're incredibly confusing. And looking back at this attempted conversation with my son, uh, I think I started in the wrong place. 
because I went into his room and I said, hey, William, when a man loves a woman or when a woman loves a man. But that's not how the Bible begins. Uh, the Bible begins by telling us of a God who made us in love. And the God who made us is a God who made us body and soul for him. And so when the Bible begins, it begins by giving us a theology of our bodies. That, that our bodies are actually destined for glory with God. That our bodies are actually indwelt by God. That our bodies are actually united to God. And that our bodies actually belong to him. See, as you read the Bible, we, we begin by learning that God made us for himself. That he made us for himself and he made us to be loved by him and to love him in return. And as we confessed earlier in the service, we said, uh, I am not my own, but belong body and soul and life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We're not our own, but we belong body and soul to God. And that's a good thing. Because God desires good things for those that he loves. But it's not just what we confessed uh, earlier in the service in our confession of faith. If any of you have been baptized here or have witnessed a baptism here, even in our baptismal liturgy, we, we talk about how we are engaged to be the Lord's. And this is the starting point for thinking about sex in our bodies, that we belong to Jesus. And I know that culturally, and I know that biologically, I know that sociologically, I know that physiologically, I know that psychologically, I know even experientially, we can talk about and understand and use our bodies in a variety of ways. But biblically and theologically, God wants us to understand that our bodies are not our own. And I know that this challenges sort of the modern, secular understanding of who we are. And I know that what I've already said and what I'm about to say is going to sound cheesy, uh, maybe prudish, uh, maybe out of date, uh, and unfortunately maybe even hateful. Uh, but my hope really is that no matter where you are with your body, no matter what you're dealing with in your body or with sexuality, you will begin to more and more trust God with your body because he is good. And because our body belongs to God, he's inviting us this morning to respond to him by saying, my body belongs to God, right? My body belongs to God. Would you say that with me? My body belongs to God. And I know that this is easy for many of us to think of as out of date. Uh, because after all, when we listen to music, when we watch television, there's all kinds of expressions. We're being tutored in a variety of ways about our bodies. And after all, our good friend George Michael used to sing, right, sex is natural, right, sex is fun, uh, sex is best when it's, you know, whatever, you know, what's the big deal is essentially what he's saying. We also have our own slogans about our bodies, like I'm free to do what I want, uh, any old time, don't tell me what to do with my body, keep your laws off of my body. And, and then for many of us, right, sex has become everything. Sex is our identity, it's our self-expression in the world, it's the way we authenticate ourselves uh, in the world, and so it's everything. But for others of us, sex really isn't anything, 
right? It's not a big deal. It's just recreation. It's just having a good time. And it doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't really have anything to do with our relationship with God. It's just biological. And sometimes we feel it and sometimes we don't. And as the slang with the kids goes, sometimes you're just thirsty. Uh, But for others of us, right, uh, sex in our bodies are uh, shameful, right? They're, They're painful, they're confusing, and it's disappointing. And it's into all of these different experiences and into all these different presuppositions that Jesus is speaking to us this morning. And what he is saying to us is, look, your body belongs to me. Whatever you feel about your body, whatever you've experienced in your body, however you have used or misused your body, Jesus is saying to us, your body belongs to me. That's what we see in verse 13. Your body is not meant for sexual immorality. Well, why is your body not meant for sexual immorality? Because, he says, your body is meant for the Lord. Then notice notice verse 19, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And what I want you to see here is that these issues with our body and with sexuality, there really are nothing new. And no matter how often we say it, and no matter how loudly we say it, uh, something like Christianity is just old-fashioned or out of date with respect to our bodies and with respect to sex, uh, Christianity is really just countercultural, and it always has been. There's nothing new about the way Christianity has talked about this. It's always been countercultural because from the moment of the fall, human beings have been trying to tell a story. Rather than telling the story of God, for which we were created to tell, we became a people who wanted to tell our own story. We tell it with our mouths, we tell it with our boast, but we also tell it with our bodies. And so as uh, human beings, we often use our bodies to tell our own story, to tell the story of satisfying ourselves, exerting our power, uh, expressing who we are. But when you read the Bible, you begin to see that God made us to tell his story, a, a story that we belong body and soul in life and in death uh, to God, and that God in his kindness Uh, belongs to us and I think that this is very important because even in the first century in Corinth uh, we begin to see that um, we're not that different from them in 2021 Knoxville we want our sexual freedom we demand our sexual freedom and the Corinthians were demanding their sexual bodily freedoms as well And the city of Corinth was a city that was filled with temples. I mean, there were temples everywhere, and most of those temples were filled with prostitutes. And part of of just the normal society of Corinth was that socially, religiously, vocationally, and economically, the people would go to the temples, and they would unite their bodies with the prostitute, and then they would eat the sacrifices, and they would celebrate And it's just what people did. In the same way that on Saturdays we go to Neyland or we go down to the farmer's market. They went to the temples and they united themselves and they ate the sacrifices. And uh, this is what men did. Uh, Women really had no rights over their bodies. Uh, A wife was really someone who was supposed to just sort of 
attend unto the affairs of the house, manage the household, have some children. But the carnal desires of the men were often taken up in different ways, predominantly through these social clubs, these social temples. And so there were men in the church who were, had been grown up visiting, who were visiting these prostitutes, and they were insisting on their right to do this because they saw nothing wrong with it. It's, it's just what the culture does. It's just what we do here in our city. And so like us, the Corinthians took up their own slogans, right? In verse 12, all things are lawful for me. They were saying, we're free. We can do what we want when we want. And Paul's response is this, like, sure, like, all things are lawful, but I will not be dominated by anything. And so what he's saying is, look, you think you're free to do whatever you want, but when you give yourself to those things that are opposed to God, you must ask yourself this question, am I really free? Right? When you give yourself to your lusts, when you give yourself to your appetites, are you not just enslaved or dominated by them? And so what his point is, is this. He's saying Jesus didn't free you from sin and death in order that you might remain in sin and death. Jesus has freed you from sin and death in order that you might live life in him. And so essentially what he's saying is that uh, you are boasting that your sexual immorality proves your freedom, but your sexual immorality doesn't prove your freedom. In fact, it actually just proves that you are enslaved to it. And so here's the point. Uh, my body right, belongs to God. Uh, my body belongs to God. Would you say that with me? My body belongs to God. And then notice verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy both one and the other. This is another slogan of the Corinthians. And what the Corinthians were saying is this, like what's the big deal? What's the big deal about sex? It's just biology. It's just an appetite. And so in the same way that when you feel hungry, you eat. When you feel thirsty, you drink. When you feel sexy, you sex. It's all fine. It doesn't matter. It's just, it's just natural. Uh, because what we do with our bodies doesn't really uh, touch our souls. That's how they were thinking. You see, the Corinthians had come to believe that God's purpose in salvation was to free us from our bodies. So that we might live uh, in our spirits for him. And so what we did with our bodies doesn't have anything to do with our relationship with God. And so Paul's writing to remind us and to remind them that God not only frees our souls, but God also frees our bodies. He frees us body and soul to live for him. And I want you to notice Paul's response. He writes in verse 13, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Therefore, he says, verse 15, flee sexual immorality. And what he's saying is that uh, you should not give your body to sin. Why not? Because your body is not meant for sin. Your body is meant for God. 
And this is huge, right? Because what this means is that our bodies actually matter. Our bodies matter to God. You're not just a bag of chemicals. You're not just sort of neurological reactions. You're not a computer simulation running in a hunk of meat. Uh, You were made by God, body and soul, for God. But not only that, notice this, verse 14. uh, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. He's, He's speaking of our destiny. And what he's saying is, see, the Corinthians had forgotten that in the same way that the body of Jesus uh, rose from the dead, he's saying your bodies will rise from the dead. And this is really important because death is not the end of our bodies. Right? Death is not the end of our bodies. Remember what our catechism teaches. Our catechism says that our bodies rest in the grave until the resurrection And then at the resurrection, our bodies will be raised up in glory to dwell with God forever. And so what he's saying is that our bodies will rise. Not just our spirit will rise, but our bodies will rise. And what this means is that heaven isn't going to be a bunch of disembodied spirits floating around playing their harps on the clouds. But on the day of resurrection, our bodies will rise and we will physically dwell with God just as Adam and Eve dwelt with God in the garden. We will dwell with God and we will feast, the picture of Revelation and Revelation 19 at at the marriage feast of the Lamb. We'll, we'll, We'll literally eat and drink and celebrate with God. And what he's telling us is that our bodies are destined for glory. We, we also quote the Heidelberg Catechism here often. And in the Heidelberg Catechism, it says, even my very flesh, raised by the power of Christ, will be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. And sadly, what was going on in Corinth is that they were ready to cast off their bodies uh, for the purity of the soul. And that was their hope. But that is not the hope of Christianity. The hope of Christianity is that body and soul, we will rise. And that body and soul, we will be received by God. And that body and soul, we will be glorified and made right. And this has tremendous implications, not just for sex, but for uh, the entirety of your body. I mean, it, it... has implications for your body image, which we all struggle with. It has implications uh, for your dysphorias. It has implications for the discomfort that you feel in your body, the shame you feel about your body, the aches and the pains that you have in your body, the breakdown of your body, the temptations in your body, the failures and the misuses of your bodies. Listen to me. God desires to receive your body and to glorify it on the day of resurrection. This is our Christian hope. That this body that we all struggle uh, to love, this body that we all struggle to enjoy, uh, 
this body that we all struggle to employ for God's service, this body that we dwell in is destined for glory. And because of that, he says, therefore now uh, begin offering your body, not in selfish or immoral ways, but offer your body to God in glory. You see, my body belongs to God, right? My body belongs to God. Would you say that with me? My body belongs to God. But not only uh, does our body belong to him, and not only is our body destined to be with him, uh, but our bodies are also united to him. Uh, I want you to see this in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? And he says, never. Or do you not know that the one who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Now, uh, this, is, this is an interesting argument he's making. But what Paul is saying is that, um, that when we are united to another human being, another human being in a bodily way, that it somehow reflects our union with Jesus, right? When we unite with another human being in our bodies, it somehow is uh, sacramentally reflecting our union with Christ. So bear with me here. What Paul seems to be saying is this. He's saying, look, your body is united to Jesus. So in the same way that in Genesis chapter 2, when God says, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, and the man and the woman were naked and they were not ashamed. And so what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, look, when the Spirit of God entered you, you were united to Jesus. Right? When the Spirit of God entered you, you became one with him. And in doing this, you now leave your old father, the evil one, right, in order to give yourselves in loving devotion to Jesus. And so here's his point. He's saying you're united to Christ by the Holy Spirit. So how can you give yourself to another? Therefore, he says, flee sexual immorality. Right? Remain pure for Jesus, the one who is your true husband. Now this is going to have implications for marriage, and we'll talk about those next week. It has implications for singleness, and we'll talk about those in two weeks. But for right now, what I want you to see is that our body has been united to Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And one of the things in this text that's really interesting is that most of the prostitutes of the time would have been in temples that were throughout the city. And so part of the problem that's happening here is that these men who were claiming the name of Jesus were also then publicly entering the temple of other gods. And they would then unite Christ's body, right, their body that now belongs to Jesus, they would unite their body to the other gods. And Paul is saying, this is impossible. This is unheard of. This is not who you are and this is not who Christ is. Right? And this is why Paul then goes on to say in verse 18, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And his point here is not that sexual sin is the worst sin of all. His point is that there is something unique about this sexual sin. 
that when you offer your body in sexual sin, when you offer this body that belongs to God, when you offer this body that is destined for God, when you offer this body that is already now united to God, you are taking that body and you offer it to another God, you are sinning against your body. That's what he's saying. And you sin against your body because you're doing something to your body that it was not purposed for, nor destined to, right? And this is why he goes on to say in verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? This is amazing because he's saying, you're going to these temples. You are the temple. And God already dwells within you. Therefore, do not defile God's temple because you are holy. You are loved. And he's saying, like, you are the place of God's dwelling. Therefore, use your body to tell the story of the God that you serve. That your God is gracious, that your God is generous, that your God is committed, that your God is faithful, that your God is pure, and he loves and is committed to his people. You see, my body belongs to God. That's what he's saying. My body belongs to God. Would you say that with me? My body belongs to God. And so he concludes here in verse 19, you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Uh, and that's the point of the supper, right? As we come to this table, we're just reminded over and over again that we're not our own, but we belong body and soul uh, to Christ our Savior. And as we come to this table, what we see by the Holy Spirit is that, uh, that Jesus gave his body for us. And in giving his body for us, he purchased us for himself so that we are no longer our own but we belong to him and so what we're doing right now is that the Holy Spirit is showing us the body of Jesus and he's inviting you to come to him and when we come to him we don't just uh, rise in our hearts we don't just rise in our souls we don't just rise in our spirits we actually get up in our bodies and we come and we offer them to him as he offers his body to us. And as we take this bread and as we drink uh, this wine, he enters into us by his spirit, uniting us to himself, assuring us of his love and assuring us of his commitment to us that we might go forth in him to live for him, strengthened for him, using our bodies for him because our bodies belong to him. Right, the table reminds us that my body belongs to God. Right, would you say that one last time with me? My body belongs to God.